Open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid. An honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Blake Williamson. Welcome to a new season of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. It's a new year, and here on Off the Grid, we're taking a fresh approach. I'm your host, Blake Williamson, and throughout this season, I'll be joined by a variety of co-hosts from across ophthalmology, across the country, and across the world. My first co-host will be Dr. Ashley Brissett from Cornell University, who'll be with us for the next three episodes. Today, we're going to cover the topic of new technology, specifically the lenses that have recently become available in the United States. Joining us for the discussion is our esteemed guest, Dr. Francesco Coronis, a refractive and cataract surgeon based in Milan, Italy, who will give us some insight into his experience with these latest technologies. Coming up on Off the Grid. Welcome to another season of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. I'm your host, Blake Williamson, and I'm so happy to be entering the year 2021. We're putting 2020 uh, in the rear view. We're moving on to 2021 with a new season, and uh, we're mixing it up this year with co-hosts coming from from coast to coast uh, and all over the world, really. And I thought to myself, who should I kick this off with? Who uh, would be so much fun to talk about everything that's going on? in ophthalmology, technology, and in life. And I thought about Ashley. So I'm so happy to welcome uh, Ashley as the co-host. How you doing? Hey, Blake. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be a part of this because I listened to Gary's podcast religiously when he was doing it and was so excited that you're the new host. And so really thank you for bringing me on. I know we're going to have a lot of fun. Totally. And, and in talking to you, you know, we thought, what, what can we do right off the bat as our first uh, episode? And we were thinking about all these new lenses uh, that we have available. Yeah, I mean, I even find myself, I've started using some of these lenses that have come out. The technology has changed even so much since I finished my training the past few years that there's so much more available to us. And I sometimes have, you know, difficulty deciding which patients for which lenses are most appropriate. So who better to speak to than somebody who's already had a lot of experience in these lenses? Because as you've mentioned before, and as we've discussed, sometimes these lenses get approved in Europe or in Canada or elsewhere before we get the chance to use them in the U.S. So we're really privy to a wealth of knowledge by some other ophthalmologists who have already been using them for some time. Totally. And I think a lot of us have those same questions. We have to have an ace in the hole, somebody who knows what they're talking about, someone who knows where all the bodies are buried. And so the first person we thought of that has uh, knowledge of all these new lenses that have just gotten approved in the U.S. was uh, Francesco Coronis. Dr. Coronis is uh, from Milan, Italy. Welcome, Francesco. Thank you, Blake, for this invitation. I'm very proud and happy to be here. And thank you so much for your very nice uh, presentation also. We appreciate you uh, coming on and taking the time. I know that you're several hours ahead of us uh, over there in Milan. And uh, before we get into the lenses, what's going on right now in Italy? How is it? How are things in Milan? Sure. Thanks for the question, Blake. Uh, um, as I said, I live in Milan. You can pick my very Italian-American accent, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it during this podcast. Uh, Milan is uh, right in the place uh, in uh, Italy where uh, the COVID hit the most, especially during the first wave. And the things now are going pretty good. We are classified as yellow in terms of area, which means that we have a, a pretty normal life. Uh, we still have to wear masks inside and outside. But for instance, uh, all stores are open. Restaurants are open, even if uh, with limited uh, uh, working hours. So it looks almost, let's say, normal. Yeah. 
And, and, and I, I want to ask about your surgical volume as well as it pertains. I know you do a lot of refractive surgery in addition to cataract surgery. We've noticed in the U.S. a big boom in LASIK and people are you know, not wanting to have the mass fog their glasses and stuff like that. Are you guys seeing that in Italy as well, even despite COVID? Yeah, even despite COVID, we are seeing exactly the same. Uh, people are very motivated in having uh, laser vision correction during these days, uh, basically because of the fog on the masks, uh, but also because of the uh, very frequent uh, lockdowns or partial lockdowns we have. And people have time just to invest uh, in uh, other but working and, uh, you know, getting rid of glasses is one of the things that they like to do during these days. Yeah, I would echo that sentiment in New York as well. I've definitely seen an increase in our volumes and I think you're correct about the reasons why. And I think that kind of leads into our next discussion is people want to become glasses free and especially people as they're getting to the age where they're starting to develop cataract and you know, being able to get out of glasses for most activities is something that's an added benefit of, of having a cataract surgery. And so, you know, here in the US, we recently got the Vividi lens, um, which is from Alcon and it's this um, extended depth of focus lens, but um, we also just today learned that we have a new lens approved, which is the iHance, which is also a lens that kind of gives a range of vision, but acts somewhat like a monofocal as well. So we just would love to hear your opinion about your experience with these lenses. Uh, well, actually, you touched a very good point. Uh, um, I, I, I really do a lot of volume uh, as regards refractive surgery in the lens placement era, uh, area. And this is very popular, not only in Italy, but I would say everywhere in Europe. Uh, one of the reasons is also the fact that we have uh, many, many eye well uh, providing some sort of a spectacle independence uh, to implant uh, many more than the United States. And so we are more accustomed to, you know, uh, uh, personalize uh, the choice of the eye wells uh, to the needs of the patients. Uh, the uh, advent, uh, let me call it like this, of this uh, uh, extended depth of focus uh, IELTS, like the DVD, like the IELTS, as you mentioned. Uh, I like to mention others like the Isopure, the LuxSmart, are uh, from different brands uh, like BVI or Bausch & Lomb. Well, all these lenses uh, actually provide uh, some sort uh, of uh, uh, spectacle independence. Uh, but the biggest advantage is the very low cost that surgeons or staff have to pay as regards, you know, quality of vision, dysphotopsia. In other words, you don't get like a full spectacle independence as it may happen with other technologies, but you can really count on IELTS that uh, as regards to dysphotopsia are very, very, very given. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that you're making is that they're not going to get the full range of spectacle independence like you would with some of the traditional multifocals, um, but you're getting a nice range of vision with lower dysphotopsia profile. So that's really how these are distinguished from some of the trifocals or other multifocals that exist. Is that correct? Yeah, completely agree with you. That's, that's, that's exactly the point. Um, obviously, uh, the uh, implementation in your portfolio of these technologies uh, require a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, uh, additional, um, you know, uh, investment uh, in uh, brainstorming the staff, uh, the people that are working with you as to exactly understand uh, how these IELTS work uh, and what they really provide. Uh, uh, but uh, as I said, I, I really think there is a lot of room for uh, uh, both uh, kind of technologies, those providing, let's say, full uh, spectacle independence or a very extended range of vision, uh, 
and those like the EDOF, uh, where the uh, range of vision may be limited, uh, but on the other side, uh, people who may be concerned about the quality of vision, especially at night, uh, may really benefit of, uh, from some significant technical independence, maybe even if not full. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, that kind of brings up mixing and matching EDOF and, and multifocality. Jorge Alio has a beautiful paper kind of talking about all the different EDOFs that you guys have in Europe and all the different trifocals that y'all are blessed to have. It seems like y'all have all the toys over there. Um, but focusing on, on Vividi and iHant specifically, because these are just the new sexy lenses here in the States, you know, we just got access to these. Not We don't have iHants yet, but it's coming. How long have you been doing Vividi and iHants specifically? And maybe just kind of talk about what you think the benefits uh, are I, I, it sounds like both of them are going to give you distance and intermediate, maybe not so much the near, but maybe just kind of talk about your experience with those two lenses and if you have any preferences in certain types of patients or uh, in certain, if you like one more than the other. Sure. Let me start uh, with my experience with the uh, IANS, just because it started uh, before, earlier than my experience with the VVD. It's now roughly two years that I'm implanting uh, the IANS on a routine basis. Uh, and I have to say that this, uh, this specific kind of technology actually replaced uh, my entire volume of uh, monofocal traditional eye wells, uh, excluding uh, those eyes uh, who, uh, that need uh, like a astigmatic correction because uh, even in Europe, the ions does not come in a toric profile. Uh, so we are limited in uh, you know, uh, implanting them in eyes not really in the correction of astigmatism. Um, so I have uh, not, uh, I, I would say, I would probably, I, I, I've been implanting maybe 200 of these eyewells because uh, in my practice, uh, a volume in between uh, 85 to 90% uh, of uh, uh, the patients actually receive uh, a more performing uh, eyewell as regards uh, the possibility for uh, giving spectacle independence. Still, it's, it's a lens that I use quite routinely as I said, it replaced my traditional monofocal eyewells. Uh, and uh, um, I like it very much because uh, um, there are no downsides. I mean, there are no compromises. So patient's vision uh, as regards the quality, as regards the contrast uh, sensitivity, as regards uh, all the, this photopsia uh, related issue is uh, very, 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 very similar to that of a monofocal eyewell. You would not pick any difference. I mean, you may have patients complaining uh, about those, uh, even with uh, a monofocal eye as well as uh, patients complaining from uh, you know negative dysphotopsia. But on the other hand, uh, the IANS actually provides uh, some sort of uh, useful, uh, uh, let's say, intermediate vision. I would not say near at all. Uh, I'm not very familiar with the uh, inches, but I would say that if you are familiar with centimeters, uh, uh, with the IANS, you can have. Uh, a relatively good uh, focal distance uh, uh, at 70 centimeters uh, with no compromises. Meaning uh, if, if an arm is a 60 centimeters uh, in length, uh, so uh, patients having a head and uh, high implanted bilaterally cannot see anything closer than uh, the uh, length of an arm, uh, but they can read, uh, for instance, uh, computers, uh, they can shop uh, without problems because they can see the prices and the tags uh, in the windows, uh, in the stores. Uh. So these are the advantages that the IANS uh, provides. So uh, I, I think that uh, also in, uh, in, in terms of costs, uh, economical costs, uh, 
the IANS, uh, at least in here in Europe, uh, is presented by the company, by Johnson & Johnson Vision, uh, as uh, an advanced focal. So the price is not significantly higher than that of a monofocal. So it's, it's very affordable, both from the patients and also from public institutions as well. And that's, a that's going to be a huge point here in the U.S. is where do they price it? You know, that's going to drive a lot of decisions about what to use. Are they just using uh, spherical aberration to get some of that intermediate, Francesco? And then maybe if you could just compare it to the Vividi, how they're achieving intermediate and maybe the differences. Well, let's say that uh, uh, what the company discloses as, uh, regarding the uh, profile of the IOL, of the, the IANS, uh, is, uh, uh, you know, being... Uh, progressively increasing in power from the periphery to the center. So obviously this uh, leads us to a little bit of a spherical aberration, although if you get into the uh, you know, discussion with the scientists at Johnson & Johnson Vision, they say that there is no spherical aberration induction, which looks very, very difficult to explain or understand. The comparison with the ability uh, is very easy to make because uh, the high answer has a continuous change over the surface without any, not only detectable, but any real differences in power that you, you can perceive. So the profile is really linear. With the DVT, you may really see, even at the microscope, at the operating microscope, that the central part, around two millimeters in diameter, has to kind of uh, uh, sudden changes in curvature that reflects uh, also the light in a different way. So I would say that the, the most important difference in between the two uh, lenses is that uh, the IANS has uh, a change in power, which is linearly provided. Ability uh, has a change in power that is uh, located only in the central area, and it is generated by two kind of sudden, I don't want to say abrupt because it looks like there is a, a huge change, but kind of, uh, you know, not, not, not progressive, not linear, but uh, sudden change in, in, in the way that the uh, lens is shaped. Um, obviously, uh, the periphery part of the uh, vivid in this case uh, is really like a monofocal IOL, while with the IANS, uh, even the peripheral part still uh, has uh, this uh, progressive change in power from the center to the periphery. If you go from the center to the periphery, obviously the power is decreased. That's great. That's a really kind of nice, kind of thorough review about the differences between the two lenses and how they work in slightly different ways, but trying to provide kind of a similar um, spectacle independence profile. Um, so my question for you is, do you feel like there's still a role for some of the older multifocal lenses or extended depth of focus lenses, or have we completely surpassed that older technology now? Okay, let me, let me comment on this uh, for a while because uh, um, uh, I think uh, and I really see on patients every day that actually the uh, spectacle independence that the VVT provides uh, is uh, significantly greater than the spectacle independence that the IANS provides. So in other words, uh, uh, if we just talk about distances, uh, as we were seeing the closest point that uh, a IANS focused at distance uh, can provide as intermediate uh, is no shorter than 70 centimeters. With the uh, um, BBT, you can go easily closer like 55 to 50 centimeters uh, uh, in terms of a patient's ability to read at that distance. 
So I, uh, although the concept uh, is kind of similar, the performance of the two IOS uh, is not. Uh, I'm not using the IAS uh, to provide spec dependence at all because uh, unless you really use it uh, in the same way that you, you, you would be in using a monofocal IOL, meaning uh, you know, setting one eye in uh, some sort of significant monovision, uh, there would be no way for uh, you know, having patients uh, getting rid of uh, spectacles even uh, at like 50 or 45 centimeters, not, not 30 as uh, for instance, three focus uh, uh, do. With the uh, uh, VVT, uh, some significant, I, I would say my, my, my personal series uh, uh, speaks about 75% uh, uh, of patients never using spectacles. And obviously you can you know, uh, 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 improve these numbers uh, just uh, uh, you know, taking some strategies, adopting some, str some strategies like uh, leaving the non-dominant eye with a little bit of minus uh, uh, residual refractive uh, outcome like in the range of uh, 0.5 diopters. Uh, so in this case, what these patients gain uh, is a significantly uh, important uh, for their spectacle dependence. So this is something that you can really play with the DVT. You may not be able to get the same uh, with the ions. So, I, I really think that the ions has to be considered as uh, an advanced monofocal to be implanted uh, for those patients who really cannot have or do not want to have or do not, do not want to invest uh, in a presbyopic correcting IOL. On the other hand, I think that DVT is a lens that can really be set uh, as a presbyopia correcting IOL for those patients uh, who maybe want to give up a little bit of spectacle independence, uh, but uh, they want to maintain uh, a very, very nice dysphotopsis uh, profile for night vision, especially. Um, you were asking me about the old, uh, and I'm saying specifically with purpose, old generation of EDOF IOS. In full honesty, I, I, I don't think they have a role any longer. I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry to say this, maybe, maybe not uh, be liked by the you know, industries and companies, uh, but all the IOS, not only in the United States, like the Symphony, but also here in Europe, like the Aquilara, for instance, from Zeiss, uh, have no, no role at all because uh, they do not provide fully spectacle independence. They provide the same amount of spectacle independence that the VVT provides. Uh, and uh, you have to deal with the issue of uh, halos and night vision problems. And uh, at least uh, what we can definitely conclude, at least in Europe, uh, is that uh, if you really want to end up with a patient having some sort of dysphotopsia, at least you have to provide the patient with the full spectacle independence. Otherwise you get the, you know, the, the, the bad side of both worlds. Yeah, I, I actually have one follow-up question for you with what you said before about how you, you've been using eye hands as almost just this kind of advanced monofocal in a way. Um, and then as we start to think about, and this is a very theoretical question, but should we be offering these lenses then to all patients? Should anybody just be getting a standard monofocal? Should the kind of advent of eye care as we see it going forward be that everybody's getting the kind of best functional lens that, that they can receive and starting to look into, you know, we should be correcting everyone's signal we should be offering everybody these advanced IOLs. What are your thoughts on that? Well, let me say this, actually. The, 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 the lenses like the ions uh, can replace uh, monofocal IOLs, I would say, in 95% of cases. Uh, I still think there are specific cases uh, where you want to have uh, a, uh, like a, a traditional monofocal IOL that compensates uh, for a corneal spherical aberration, especially for those uh, very high-demanding patients uh, who really want to have an uncompromised uh, 
night vision because uh, whatever you're going to do as regards of playing with spherical aberration, uh, it will mean that, uh, especially in terms of contrast sensitivity, night vision will be not as good as uh, with the monofocal uh, IOL that compensates for spherical aberration. So, uh, but in terms of, uh, you know, um, average volume, average patients, I mean, all the, uh, you know, grandfathers and grandmothers uh, we have around uh, the entire world, uh, I really think that they may take more benefits uh, uh, from uh, a, an advanced monofocal IOL rather than from an IOL that in theory really performs uh, at its best in night vision, but these patients never use night vision. Correct. Oh, that's great. So Francesco, I think that if someone is listening here in the States um, to this podcast, they're wondering, okay, what happens if someone's coming in asking for spectacle independence? Because you mentioned if you offset them in the non-dominant eye with the vividity, that 75% or so are completely spectacle independent. So in my mind, if, that, if I have a patient coming in who wants spectacle independence and is willing to, um, you know, willing to have some dysphotopsias, the question is, do you do a vividity in both eyes and just do a little mini mono? Or do you do a vividity in, in the dominant and maybe a, a panoptics in the non-dominant? Or do you do like an eye hance in the dominant eye and maybe a ZL boo or something like that in the non-dominant? Because it seems like all of those options would give spectacle independence and would have a much lower dysphotopsia profile. So I'm just wondering what right now, if a patient walking into your clinic in Milan says, you know, doctor, I'm okay with some, some dysphotopsias, but I do not want to wear reading glasses. What are you putting them in? Well, let me say this, Blake. The biggest point is, uh, you know, meeting the patient's expectations as always. So if a patient is really motivated to get spectacle independence uh, and this is uh, his or her priority, I think the trifocals are still much better performing than uh, uh, any combinations uh, or uh, uh, any, uh, you know, mix and matching that we can do. So in that case, I would implant uh, 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 trifocals in both eyes, uh, Panoptics. Uh, here in Europe, we have the Synergy that I know is going to be approved very soon in the United States uh, from Johnson & Johnson. Uh, and this is a very, very, very powerful lens uh, as well. Uh, uh, from this patient, uh, everything else uh, has to be, you know, discussed uh, with, uh, with, uh, with uh, the potential patient. Because uh, uh, if a patient says, uh, uh, I, I like to have spectacle independence, but I would prefer to give up on that uh, every now and then uh, to maintain my quality of vision at night, uh, then uh, bilateral vividity to me looks uh, like a wonderful option because uh, uh, these patients are very happy. These patients meet their expectations. I'm not the, the biggest fan of uh, mixing and matching. Maybe it's a matter of also of cultural differences. Uh, here patients have the idea that if you mix uh, and match, it means that none of the two iris is really good enough uh, to be implanted in both eyes. And <laughs> this is the kind of perception that we want to give the patients. As we say in the, in the NFL, if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, I, we really appreciate you speaking with us about your experience, because as we mentioned, you know, we're starting to get these newer lenses here in the U.S., and it's wonderful to hear from your experience, you know, firsthand, exactly how you're implementing them and how you're speaking to patients about the lenses, about the options that they have, and the pros and cons of each one. Yeah, what I pull from this and what I'm learning from Francesco is that the future is bright and we're finally getting some of the toys here in the U.S. that uh, they've had over there in Italy. Um, and it's great to be able to have someone with experience with both tell us about patient selection and, and what we can expect. So, uh, Francesco, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing with us uh, all of your insight. 
Lake Ashley, I thank you for uh, the invitation and I really enjoyed this time with you. Thank you. We look forward to the next couple episodes. Uh, Ashley, I can't wait to see what we have coming down the pipe. Thank you to Ashley and Francesca for joining me on this episode of Off the Grid. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. This has been Ophthalmology Off the Grid. Until next time.